Guardians win today. We're going to get in-depth on the second extra inning game in a row against who could be their potential playoff matchup. We will talk some stats. We're going to talk about the catcher position on today's episode of Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians. Your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Guardians. I want to thank you for making Locked On Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is you get podcasts. My name is Jeff Ellis. I've been the host of Locked On Guardians since its inception. I think October is when we'll finally really have some news moving forward with the new uh, co-host. It is all set up, ready to go. We're going to discuss these two games. Well, we're going to discuss today's game, and we're also going to spend a little time on yesterday's game. We had the crossover yesterday with Sully. If you missed it, go check it out. Sully is a lot of fun to talk to. You might have noticed I got a little bit distracted. For some reason, all of a sudden, I got signed out of everything on Twitter. It made me nervous. I was trying to check some things. But I was not hacked. That's the important thing. Uh, but, yeah, it was a good chance to talk with Sully. We talked about the game. We talked about the Guardians in general. I talked about my annoyance with people being mad at the Guardians. We'll talk about that a little bit more today. And, you know, we talked some history. And then Aaron Judge tied Roger Maris today. Uh, former Cleveland baseball player Roger Maris. And, again, I will stand that... The Maris deal looks bad. It wasn't... Cleveland made so many truly terrible deals. That one actually isn't one that was truly terrible. It wasn't good, but that's one of the few ones that was not truly terrible. If you missed it. So here's my general take. I'm so annoyed with this whole thing I've seen with some White Sox and Twins fans about like, oh, it's so annoying, this narrative. And I even saw it from someone who's like just a baseball editor where it's like, it's so annoying that like everyone... Uh, their whole take about everyone doubting us. And is it really, or is it because, A, you're a fan of a team that collapsed, or B, you're an editor-slash-writer for a website that didn't give this team proper respect? And again, I will say, from the beginning of the year, I didn't pick them to make the postseason, but I thought they could finish third in the division. I thought they'd win more than 80 games. And that put me in the top one percentile of outcomes expected for this team. A lot of places, I thought, rather sillily, is that even, it's not a word, but foolishly might be the better way to go about it. Thought that the Guardians were just bad. Like, this is a bad team. And I was, again, I've talked about it many times in the show. One, they didn't have Shane Bieber for almost all of last year. They didn't have Savale or Plesak for chunks. They were relying on, you know, they went out and signed Eddie Rosario, who didn't try when he was here. Let's be honest. Let's not try to, to make it sound any better. He didn't give a darn. The effort was incredibly low. And you could look at the Cleveland team heading into this year and know the young players were going to finally start hitting. Uh, maybe not hitting like, you know, how Steve Kahn's been hitting, but I mean at least getting to the big leagues. And they're all not going to work. There's going to be some busts in there. That's just the way of prospects. But there's so many of them, it limits the risk. Uh, on top of that, like Josh Naylor with his injury a year ago and not having him as an option, this team did not have a lot of great options. Health plus young players hitting the big leagues. I know I'm like not on. Okay, I should move my hand this way to get on camera. Uh, but it's like those were their central thoughts. Like they had been so unhealthy, and they really hadn't seen the waves of talent start hitting. There's no way this team wasn't going to win 80-plus games. And for anyone out there being like, oh, it's a tired narrative. 
nobody doubted us. It's literally every sports movie ever been written. The Mighty Ducks. Oh, yeah. Hoosiers. Oh, yeah. I mean, go through. What sports movie isn't the Miracle on Ice, right? Like, if, if you want to go for one that's, ba- you know, Hoosiers, though, I guess is also, like, based on a story, isn't it? But it is, you know, Major League, if you want to do Cleveland Guardians Edge. It is every single one. Angels in the Outfield, if you want uplifting. It is literally every sports movie ever is the team that no one had any faith in. And a lot of places were picking the Guardians to be a last-place team. They were picking the Guardians to, like, sell Jose Ramirez in midseason. Now, in fairness, I talked about on this podcast that if they didn't sign him, I thought they would trade him by midseason. And honestly, from what I heard, if they hadn't signed him, he'd have been traded before the season began. So there was some thought to that, but they were never going to be a bad team. Whereas you could look at Kansas City and be like, for Kansas City to be good, you're assuming a lot of guys are going to take a leap and that Bobby Witt's not going to run into issues. And Bobby Witt's been solid. He's not been a bad rookie. He's not been a star. I think in the grand scheme, it's a little bit of a disappointment because honestly, he probably shouldn't finish top five in the rookie of the year. Definitely not top three, but one can make a case he shouldn't be in the top five for that award, which is a disappointing outcome for him. It's nowhere near the Spencer Torkelson level of disappointing, but you know, you were expecting guys had to take leaps for Kansas City, where with Cleveland, you just needed them to be healthy. Uh, yeah, Quan is overperformed. Oscar Gonzalez is found money. Because this team didn't even bother to protect him. They protected 12 other players and didn't protect him. Oscar Gonzalez could have walked out the door as a minor league free agent. He chose not to. Uh, You know, you can go through, though. It's like Miles Straw struggles, the catching position being a black hole. Uh, Savali has pitched, what, like less than 30 innings since mid-July. It's not been perfect, but they've got there. And for anyone who's whining right now about this team, I, I have a real hard time taking you seriously. It just feels like a weak take, right? Like, and for them saying, oh, it's a weak take for the Guardians to sit back and say, no one believed in us, or we were, you know, it's like that they couldn't have been known. No, you, you could have, because at the same time, you can go through almost every single one of those websites, and it's like, you didn't believe in Steve Kwan enough to put him in the top 100 prospects. That was on you. Yeah, it was one year of data, but you were stuck on the, his size. And, I mean, I was guilty to a degree. I didn't have him as a top-five prospect, which clearly after this year he should have been. But it was also a lack of catching up. There was a severe lack of catching up, and there was a lot of focus on all the big things that happened. And Cleveland, <laughs> their big additions were Brian Shaw was the big money ad. Uh, then you had Eniel and on a minor league free agent contract, and um, Luke Maley at just shy of a mill as a backup catcher. It was not impressive. But at the same time, yeah, people missed. People did not give this team the credit they had earned. Still a team with some darn good players uh, when you had Jose and Bieber and the pitching staff that was in place. Like, I had someone today tell me I've never been a believer in Quantrell. I'm like, I called for him to be a starter last year. I still think he's a top three starter on this team and a playoff starter. I don't know what more I need to say to prove that, I mean, yeah, I don't think he's a transcendent or an all-star type of talent, but is he a solid mid-rotation? Absolutely. Uh, And the whole staff, there wasn't a super weakness there. Um, I I mean, I I had my doubts with McKenzie, but he took the leap, and my doubts are are clear uh, with him. And I was just kind of waiting to see if he could hold up, and he's done that. But yeah, it's a it's a good team, and yeah, I just I really find it obnoxious the number of people who want to 
like I said, if you're hating because, and I understand, if you're a White Sox fan, you are incredibly frustrated. This is supposed to be your window. This is the middle of your window after a like full-on uh, rebuild. And you know the questionable trade for Kimbrel that really kind of blew up in their face and got a Pollock, which hasn't worked out either. Uh, hurt because they just don't have pieces to move. But this is supposed to be the middle of their window, and they're bad. So if you're a White Sox fan, I totally get your frustration. You should be frustrated. Uh, if you're a Twins fan, you thought you had this division. You made the biggest move in this division in the offseason, and then you imploded. And you've had massive health issues. I get your frustration. But, yeah, no one d- believed in the Guardians. I mean, our round table, they picked them to be no better than fourth. So... I have a, just some big issues there. That is my current gripe. That is my current complaint. A, weak narrative. B, it feels like a cover-up narrative for either frustrations or doubting a team when it became very clear, I think, by June that this team was better than they got credit for. And it took, like, what, September to get any credit? We're going to take our first break here, come back, and actually talk about these games against the Rays because they're important. It is a potential playoff preview happening right now. So here's how I know Blue Chew is a successful product. I've got an ad read. I'm not doing it. (laughs) I know they're a successful product because they were our first sponsor. I'm 800 episodes in. Blue Chew was my first ad reads. It's a product that it is, there is a lot of people when you need male enhancement that are out there trying to make a dent in this field. And I mean, you can't watch a baseball game without getting ads for it. Uh, It is one of their central uh, advertising revenue uh, places, it seems. But Blue Chew is stuck around because it is a good product. It is a, you know, in the chewable factor of it is something that allows them to stand out. And how do I also know they're successful? Not only do they have like a full buy here on locked on when I listen to some of Kevin Smith's podcasts. Um, sorry if you're someone who doesn't like him and I just disappointed you or great. If we listen to similar podcasts, uh, he have, they advertise there. They have the money to go out and, and land on one of the biggest names in podcasting. They have the ability to go out and do it here. That shows it's a product that works and that they keep investing in advertising because they know that once you try it, and by the way, it's the same ad read for the big name as it is for me because they know once you try the product, you're going to come back. And you know it, it's currently a great deal. If you've ever been curious about it, you're never going to get a better opportunity right now we got a special deal. Try Bluetooth for free when you use the promo code locked on at checkout. Just pay five bucks in shipping. That's bluechew.com promo lock, promo code locked on to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details, important safety information, and we thank Bluetooth, our first sponsor, and continuing to sponsor our podcast. Tanya, they are a successful company for a reason. They have a product that works. Okay, let's get more in depth on Monday's game. Because I just didn't get that opportunity uh, at all to discuss it. (laughs) Sorry, I was laughing because I'm looking through my tabs and I got something where it's an updated prospect article from August 17th. I I think I can close that tab. Normally, I I hate having tabs open. That was an unusual find uh, on here. But let's get into game one of this series. A heartbreaking loss. 6-5 loss for Cleveland. Listen, Trevor Steffen has continued to be an utter revelation 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 and you know like i said i'll keep saying it this team i did a i sat there and researched 50 years of rule fives by the way it's not like a draft finder like baseball reference has for their draft where you can kind of do it quick and dirty this was click a year click on everyone to see if they stuck or not 
So I have all that data. We're going to have a whole show that is just Rule 5 before the Rule 5 draft. I'm saving that data. But again, Trevor Steffen has been the greatest Rule 5 pick in franchise history. He picked up the loss in this one, but I'm just going to keep harping on the fact that for a team that has lost Anthony Santander, that has lost Hector Rondon, that has lost so many great players over the years, but for whatever reason does not find them in the Rule 5, he is up to a war this year of 0.9, so it's a 1.4. He's got to get a little over 2 to actually have the official lead over Tom Waddell, a relief pitcher as well, who was born in Scotland. But getting back into this game, the 6-5 to five affair. Uh, you had a triple by Jose Ramirez. And it's, this is The last two days are kind of perfect, right? So Jose has three hits in that one, and then today's game, he goes 0 for 4. Like, that has been the story of Jose since his thumb injury. He has been average. Like, it's it's just there. You know, we can get into the numbers of it, but he, since that, since that Colorado series, you're talking about a guy who, it was Jose versus Judge for rookie, of the, for rookie of the year, for MVP, before that thumb injury. Since that thumb injury, he's been an average bat. That's just the truth of the matter. And I know some people don't like to hear that. And, you know, you can't talk badly about Jose because Jose took the sweetheart deal to stay here. I'm not saying anything bad about him, but I'm saying he has clearly not been healthy. Like, that's just end of the day. Runs created plus since that Colorado series. Jose Ramirez is at a 101. That's average. Josh Naylor, a 107. Ahmed Rosario, a 112. Oscar Gonzalez, a 118. A 131 for Stephen Kwan. Andres Jimenez, a 147. The team's MVP this year is Andres Jimenez. It is not Jose Ramirez. Their best player this year has been Jimenez. That's just the truth of the matter. One can make a case that Jose isn't top two, that Quan might end up having a higher value. It's going to be harder for that. But, I, I mean, this just stands out to me. By the way, after Jose, next up in terms of runs created plus on this team since that Colorado series at seventh, Nolan Jones at a 92. Uh, we still haven't seen him since he got sent down. Worst, Ernie Clement at a 22. Will Benson, uh, Richie Palacios, Austin Hedges before you get into the next group. By the way, uh, for all of the issues, I'm saying by the way way too much, but for all the issues with Miles Straw, during that time, a 61 runs created plus. Owen Miller, who's played almost as much, has a 66. So one plays a gold glove, top defender, up the middle position, the other plays first base. That's an issue. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know. Like if if Jose was Jose, this would be a different team. That lineup would be so much deadlier if he had carried what he did in the year. I'm gonna cough here, so let's do a quick pause. If Jose was Jose and was like at least a 120 to 130, he's often a 140, 40 percent better in the league. I just transformed the lineup, and I don't understand why he's still playing. Let the guy rest, unless it's to just sit there and let him hope that he can figure it out. Because otherwise, again, he has been their sixth best hitter since that thumb injury. I never thought a team could make the playoffs with Jose being their sixth best hitter since mid-June. That's a significant part of the season. That is more of the season that he has been average than he was above average. And these last two games, it's just, this is exactly my concern with him is, you know, we, every time we think he's starting to turn around and 
was that stretch after the Seattle series where he was on fire and then it just he's the consistency isn't there and the strikeout percentage talk about a change a you know if it's not injury it's the book is out and everyone and their mother is throwing a change up you don't <laughs> there are guys who never throw a change up who throw Jose a change up because they know he's going to swing out of the zone uh it's just right now the book is out until he adjusts uh you know he's He's striking out 15% of the time, so let's do it the other way. Uh, let's change this to, well, let's go back. Let's pause so that it's not a boring podcast. And for all of you wise people uh, who are saying it, it's always a boring bar- podcast. And, and, eh. But Jose Ramirez, before that series, 60 games, 262 plate appearances, a 187 runs created plus. Again, he's got a 101 right now. Strikeout. K percentage, 7.6. He's at over 14 now. He's almost doubled it. His walk percentage was 13 then. It's now in the single digits. His walk percentage and his K percentage have flipped, and his production has dropped by 80%. Something has occurred, and it might be multiple somethings, but it is very clear that Jose is not Jose. It's just there's no other way to really quantify or look at that data. And again, these two games... A three for six with the only extra base hit on Monday, and then coming back and going uh, 0 for four in the game tonight is that's that just perfectly personifies what his season has been like. Let's get back into this game. So Cleveland had 14 hits. They also had five walks, a little unusual for them. Uh, part of that, and this is where I kind of you know a, a riot, Arias, right? No, Arias. Yeah, funny thing, I went to a conference about dyslexia which i have uh as an educator and i talked with a, a a person there who was talking about how they have a hard time with stefan versus steven because the way it looks i'm like oh my goodness i can identify with you so much right now but uh you know with arias he had two walks he had two of those five walks and that's the thing him and well he's a right-handed bat so it's added value but him and nolan jones give that power and give that walk ability that not everyone on this roster has I've uh, seen, you know, more for Quan as well. Naylor had a walk. Naylor, I feel like, is walking more of late uh, in this one. But you had the five walks, one of them being the intentional to Quan. So that gives them uh, 19 opportunities in this game. 19 opportunities should be six to seven runs. They got five. Part of that is just not having the extra base hits. The other side of things, they had seven hits. There was one error on Cleveland, so that's eight opportunities. And they had one walk. That should be good for three runs. They got six. And they had, what, three extra, four extra base hits. Harold Ramirez killing the Guardians. And it's hard to hate on him. Uh, if you missed it, you're not paying attention. Harold Ramirez currently has his hair dyed blue for autism awareness because he has, I believe, two children with autism. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have nothing but, but praise for him as a human being. And listen, he's there's a lot of Harold Ramirez and Oscar Gonzalez comp range. If you want to compare those two players, I think there's a lot of room. And, you know, Ramirez is currently, it, listen, he was really high at one point. He's kind of evened out. I mean, I think Oscar has better physical tools. But, I mean, Harold Ramirez was not a slouch as a player with physical tools either. So it's it's kind of interesting to see those players. But this game is one Cleveland very easily could have won. It was a frustrating game to follow. Shane Bieber, it's one of his rare stinkers. Like, he has been pretty solid. But again, to give up 
four runs on six hits is that's a lot. He didn't walk anyone. The one home run, it was just almost bad luck to a degree. Um, of course, we have to talk about Eniel with the perfect inning. We talked about it on the show yesterday, so I'm not going to go in depth, but just not perfect inning, immaculate inning. Only the fourth immaculate inning in franchise history. The first since Zach Plesak in 2020. Uh, Sandlin, great inning. Class A, great inning. 99, great inning. Uh, Trevor Steffen, just wasn't there for him. He had a walk and a hit, and then he struck out two, but with that added base runner, you know, one earned run, two total runs. Cleveland came back. He also had a wild pitch. Cleveland came back uh, to get a run in the 11th, but they dropped this one. You're three stars. Uh, who reached base twice? I didn't do that. Quan had did it. Ahmed, Jose, uh, Oscar, Brennan, Arias, and then I think that was it, right? Yep. Three stars, Quan and Ramirez are pretty easy with each having three hits and a walk, reaching base four times. Or Jose didn't have a walk, but he had the triple. Quan had three hits and then the intentional walk. Those are the pretty easy players. And then, I mean, going through it, I'm tempted to give it to Arias because he had a stolen base. Straw also had his 20th, by the way. Arias had his first, but two walks and a hit. So we're going to give it all to the, the hitters in this one. We are going to take a break. I know I talked about uh, segment three getting into stats. I kind of moved some of the stats into segment two. We'll talk some catchers in segment three. We're also going to talk about today's game, actually. I know pushing that back in to have a little more time. Also going to talk a little bit about something I got very wrong uh, and some good discussion on Twitter helped me realize it on today's Locked On Guardians. So I've often talked about the fact that I don't like Plesak in extra innings or with base runners on. And then I think it was Zach uh, Fenno. I'm sorry, Zach, I don't have your name down. He made a really good point, and I'm like, you know, you're right. The reason that Plesak is nice when you have a base runner on, especially if it's in extra innings and that base runner is already on second. It's one thing if it's a base runner on first where they can advance themselves. But when they're already on second in that situation, the strikeout is so valuable, and no one is better at striking out batters on this Cleveland team than 99. And I don't actually, I didn't look at that empirically to look if he has the highest K percentage, but I'm willing to bet he does. Yeah, it's at 38%. Number two, Trevor Steffen. Number three was Anthony Ghost, fun fact, but now it's Sam Hench's. Uh, and then I don't think anyone would anticipate four, Eli Morgan, five, Eniel De Los Santos, six, Classe, seven, McKenzie, eight, Bieber, nine, Zavale, 10, Sandlin. Just might as well run down the list. But that's something I got wrong. Thanks to Zach and others. Yeah, in that specific situation, I do get why you save 99. Because, you know, most singles are going to score a runner anyways. If they advance to third, it's not going to help them that much in terms of changing the outcome of the game. But having someone who can strike someone out and keep the ball from going in play is incredibly valuable. So today's win, it's, a you know, pitching, right? McKenzie, six innings, three hits, one earned run. Uh, with the walk, or he had one walk today, I should say. He hasn't been giving up many walks. Four base runners in six innings, six strikeouts in six innings. That is all really solid. Uh, you know, they took him out after 88 pitches. I'm fine with letting him rest a little because, again, this is a guy who's still in the building up strength process. Before the 2020 season, he had missed like a year and a half. He was kind of in the Daniel Espino type of situation for health where he hadn't pitched a ton, and then last year he was up and down a bit. So, yeah, let, let's save some uh, some arm strength for the postseason. 
you have the delays in the game today and yesterday. Uh, and I see people getting mad about attendance. And here's my attendance take real quick. The people who want to talk about the name narrative, it's a little bit... It, that's not what's affecting attendance this week. And for people who want to yell at the fans for not going to games when they've already clinched the postseason, that's also... You know why people don't want to go to games? Because they're midweek and they know there's going to be a delay. Like, i got to be honest. I... I love the Guardians, but this is my side hustle job. If I lived in Akron, where you know I previously lived when I started this job, I wouldn't be going and sitting in the press box every night because I'd be like, I got to work in the morning, and I can't count on the weather. And that's when I get to sit in a press box, and I don't have to worry about being rained on either. So I think that's probably the bigger story as opposed to the two separate narratives that people want to jump on right now. But going back to this game, Henches, we talked about how good he's been. Well, you know, he struggled in this one. It led to the extra run. He had two walks, strikeout, and a hit. He only went a third of an inning. Elan Morgan coming in to bail him out. Class A solid, 99 with the win. And again, exactly what people talked about and showed me about. He got three strikeouts and extras. That's how he got the win. That is what he excels at. By the way, his ERA, 145. Class A is 142. Very close still. Two elite weapons. Uh, I think I already closed yesterday's game box to talk about, um, you know, just Trevor Steffens in the low twos. Henches is at a 2-4. Again, ERA, not great for relievers, but we get so nervous about Eli Morgan, a 3-6-1. This is a really good bullpen outside of Shaw. So who reached base multiple times? Well, Quan had two hits, and then I believe that's it, unless we had a hit. Bat. Well, Jimenez, of course, got hit, as did Brennan. So Brennan reached base twice, and Jimenez did because he also had a walk. So you had three guys reach base twice. Uh, Arias with the big home run, though. That's that's the thing. Like, at the end of the day, the one error on McKenzie, but he's still one of your three stars. Arias' home run makes him a third star. Uh, Ahmed Rosario, I'm tempted to go with over the, the guys who reach base twice because he, what a pinch hit win. You know, that was a huge moment for him to come in and get that pinch hit win for this team. It was interesting also just to see a different lineup. It's the first time really all year where we haven't had a speed guy in the nine spot. Uh, Very different composition for this team overall. Straw with the off day for them. I'll be curious to see. Again, I think Jose needs a day off, maybe two. Give Josh Naylor some time off. He's He's playing better, but he has also looked fatigued like, let some of these guys get some some rest. Uh, if you haven't been paying, t- if you haven't been paying attention, Stephen Kwan hitting over 300 again. Not something we see a ton of anymore. Try to remember the last everyday hitter who hit 300 for Cleveland. Hit me up in the comments if you remember that. Uh, yeah, so Rosario is definitely our other star. Box score bingo. Cleveland had five hits, four walks. That's nine opportunities. That should be good for about three runs. Uh, they got two. The other side had six hits, three walks, and an error. They had ten. They actually had ten opportunities. Should also be good for about three. They got one. Uh, they had two doubles. Cleveland had the one home run, and then what? One stolen base, one caught stealing. Uh, this was an interesting matchup. Glass now could not go deep, so they really had to rely on their bullpen. And Cleveland didn't get to the pen. They didn't really touch him up that much. So they got to the very back, back part of this pen, and Guerrero was kind of, I mean, he was a mess. If you missed it, let's just, so, you know, I pulled up and looked at the seventh earlier, but 
But I think it's more important to talk about the 10th here. So they bring in Guerrero because they, I mean, we see how many pitchers have they already used. But intentional lock to Jimenez. Then they get the sack bunt to advance it. So they intentionally walk Will Brennan, which means I misread that. So, And then Rosario comes in, gets the hit, and they win. So actually, Quan's the only one who reached base twice. I misread the intentional walks as hit batters. Those were two intentional walks in that inning. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so yeah, Quan's the only one who reached base twice in this game. That's it. That's your list. So, yeah, it's definitely Quan, Rosario, and McKenzie for your three stars in this game. Uh, it's just interesting to see that many intentional walks. It's I get it. It's to get the force outs um, with just one out. But, yeah, it, it's, it's, I don't think it's, it's the most successful approach. I've never been a big fan of the intentional walk. Uh, so, yeah, Cleveland wins this one. And, you know, Glass now only had the three innings. It's his debut in 2022. He could be a big part of the postseason. Again, this is a potential postseason matchup for Cleveland. If we go look at the wild card standings, uh, let's see. Tampa is half a game behind Toronto, and Seattle is, I'm sorry, Tampa is a game and a half behind Toronto, and Seattle is half a game behind Tampa. I mean, this is, Chicago has officially been eliminated. They're down, Chicago and the Twins both have a 490 winning percentage, by the way. They're both eight and a half back in the wild card. On the wild, and they're closer than in the division where Cleveland's up to a 561 winning percentage. Uh, if you want uh, some fun with numbers, 666 runs scored. Uh, yeah, it's always when you, when you see the, the three sixes there, it's uh, it stands out, right? It's an eye grabber. Uh, Seattle currently holding that last spot, four and a half for Baltimore, but four games is their count to elimination. I think we know in the American League, what the postseason is going to be. National League, half a game back Milwaukee because Philly has gone 3-7 and seven in their last 10 and lost four in a row. Philly is trying to find new ways to choke it all away. So I mentioned I want to talk about catchers, and I don't really have time. Long story short, if we go back and I pulled up about 15 years of data, how about you know the hype of Joey Bartz and what Joey Bartz has been this year? And you look at how successful he was. Anthony Seigler, who was actually taken before Bo Naylor, and how he's not even gotten in double A. Someone like Zach Collins, who was a top 10 pick, who you know has a negative war. Max Pentecost, who was a top 20 pick, never made the big leagues, uh, but was a top 100 guy. Even you know, Blake Swihart, who was a top 20 prospect the year before he got his significant playing time. You can even go back to guys like Matt Wieters, who was supposed to be generational and was kind of closer to average. Um, <laughs> man. Sorry, everyone. But my whole point here is don't assume. Catchers are the trickiest position in the world when it comes to baseball. It is really hard to judge. It's very hard to do. And we should all know that after watching last year where idiots like me left Bo Naylor off their top 10 prospects and left him for dead because he had such... I mean, he he struggled to hit 200 in double A a year ago. Uh, Whereas La Vestida just went from high A to double A to triple A and looked like the, I mean, I had Lavastita ranked higher than Naylor. That's, you know, if I'm going to give myself credit when I'm right, it, it, I can't even say if I'm wrong or not, because who knows what next year is going to bring. Is it a one year thing? I've seen guys have seasons. Uh, I mean, it certainly doesn't see like it. Bo Naylor's a 2020 guy right now. He's going to be probably about fifth or sixth for me in the prospect rankings. But I, I just want to, 
when we talk about how bad catchers are and we talk about the fact that, you know, uh, Austin Hedges is now, he's the one who's historically awful, one of the worst hitting seasons in the history of baseball. And I love him as a backup, but I, I still don't know if Naylor is going to be the guy for next year. And I think it says a lot that Cleveland thought they had a deal for Sean Murphy and then Oakland kind of came back on him and asked for more and it fell apart. I just think that this team is very likely to chase something in the offseason from what I have heard reading between lines. be curious to see what it is. Um, I don't know if they view Naylor necessarily as the catcher of the future because it, it kind of goes back to like Eric Haas and Francisco Mejia. They set such a high standard of defense. I don't know if they're willing to go lower than that. So it just I was going to get into it and talk about all these guys and just – at the end of the day, boil it down since we're at 32 minutes already. All the stuff about there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, tin snap, that you know pitchers are so risky, prep pitch. The riskiest thing you can draft is a high school catcher. The player who is most likely to find success in the minors and be a top 20 prospect and not translate is a catcher. It is a risky position. If the Guardians roll out and decide to go with Naylor, that's fine. I'm not, I am totally fine with, with Hedges to Naylor for next year. I also just want to say, you know, in my little bit here where I talk about potential offseason stuff or just, I mean, let, let's be honest, catching is currently a disaster. That I don't think it is a position that we should view as set. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to put it that way. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been Locked on Guardians podcast for today as we near the end of September for your playoff-bound Cleveland Guardians. Remember to rate and review, download daily, it helps. Subscribe on YouTube, we are very close to 700, which puts us very close to 1,000, which is, of course, the goal. Um, And as I end every show, go, go, Guardians, go.